Before mighty Darkseid came to the throne, he searched the universe for the ultimate weapon, the anti-life equation, the key to controlling all life and all will throughout the multiverse. He found it hidden on a primitive planet, but before... The story he... of the Defiance is well known. I have found the primitive planet, the world that fought back. It is Earth. The anti-life equation is carved into the surface of this very world. Are you certain? I have seen it. I have looked with my own eyes. Welcome to the third part of the Three Men in a Retrospective podcast. Look at the Batman portion of the DC Universe. How many can die in your arms before you grow numb to death? Listen in as Garrett. Ah, oh, I'm really, really missing Superman right now. Matt. Is it just me, or is it getting crazier out there? And Adam. I'm your best friend. Continue their look at all cinematic incarnations starring the Cape Crusader. They say, if you want to tell a story right, you got to start at the beginning. Included on this leg of the retrospective are reviews of Joker. My life is nothing but a comedy. Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. It took losing something I truly loved for me to see that the target on my back was bigger than I thought. Zack Snyder's Justice League. My lord, I am but your humble servant. The Suicide Squad. <laughs> You're laughing at me for, man! Why the fuck are you in your underwear? Tighty whities Really? And Matt Reeves' latest cinematic incarnation, The Batman. He's the only one we didn't get. Keep coming back in the coming months, as the boys will continue their look at each film in the cinematic DC Universe, one film at a time. We could watch the whole thing together. Watch what? Everything! All coming up, courtesy of Percolated Media. The Suicide Squad, because the last two movies of this retrospective have the in front of it to show us how important they are. Released August 5th, 2021. Budget on this was $185 million. Box office $168.7 million. And this is directed by making his first appearance on either of our shows, Mr. James Gunn. So I want to throw it to Goudreau. And I'm just going to ask, how did we get here? Because last I heard, David Iyer had made Suicide Squad. No, it wasn't that well-received. We didn't give it that high marks. But everybody was saying, well, it wasn't really his cut. I thought he was set to come back here. What happened? Well, he was. And sorry to burst your bubble immediately. The next movie ha- also has the in the title. So we're ending That's why. Up... Yeah, that's why I said, yeah, I said it. <laughs> we're, we're keeping consistent. But I don't think Warner Brothers knows what that word means. So here's what went down, at least as far as David Ayer goes. Uh, like I said, I, we could write a book about all the production history of these frickin' movies in this yeah. franchise, but he, number one, felt neutered by the PG-13 rating because he really went to war for an R rating. So he already had his battles with Warner Brothers between that and the trailer company they hired to basically repurpose the entire movie. But that notwithstanding, they fast-tracked the sequel. Because it did make a ton of money, as we talked about. They had announced all the spinoff movies, one of which was going to be Will Smith 
as Deadshot. One that David Ayer was really attached to that I talked about in Birds of Prey, he wanted to do Gotham City Sirens, and he was set to actually do that instead of Suicide Squad 2. So he did not really seem to commit to it when they green tried it because he wanted to do something else. So then Warner Brothers is like, well, shit, what do we do? Who do you go to? Well, they went to Mel Gibson, of all people, to <laughs> possibly of course direct do. this. It was not a rumor. It was actually confirmed that they seriously talked to him about taking this on. And he, either he said no or, or Warner Brothers did. So David Ayer sort of, I think, left this behind to move on to. Uh, he did that. What was the name of that piece of shit movie? He, oh, Bright. Bright. Yeah. Was like Netflix. That, which, if, if anybody saw that movie, I don't know if I'd give David Ayer another movie because that is one of the worst. <laughs> it's so bad. Netflix has made a lot of original garbage and that might be the furthest dumpster dive of trash you have to watch when we did independent film and we were shopping it around we went to netflix and we could not believe we were turned down because we saw the pile of shit that they had on there and when i saw bright it got me so angry because that was around the time it was supposed to be released and i was furious i was like my god they're green lighting this but not our fucking movie but yeah so when david Ayer and mel gibson were not going to direct this. Then they went to, I'm going to butcher this guy's name, Jean Colette Sarah, who ironically is directing Black Adam in this yep. universe. So it's not like he's someone that they cast aside completely, but he also did a uh, orphan, which is one of my favorite little horror films. And he, has, uh, he did the jungle cruise, the jungle cruise. Yeah. Which is how he didn't end up with this. Yeah. He also did house of wax. If anybody wants to. Oh that. Yeah. Not that I'm pretending that you do so, but that goes to show how you have to pay your dues to get some of these these big movies sometimes, mm. or have the rock bat for you. Nothing will make us cover that. <laughs> no, but that notwithstanding, throughout all the talks and all the director changes, Will Smith was set to come back for this. But a little writer by the name of Zach Penn came in, who has done, you know, he's no stranger to these types of movies. Hell, he's no stranger to this show, or the old show for that matter. He wrote a draft basically saying, you know, why don't we try this? Colette Sarah dropped out. And the funny thing was when they said, all right, we're, we're going to delay this a little bit. Jared Leto was expected to come back. Mm -hmm. And they let Will Smith go make Aladdin and Gemini Man to give him the time that it'd be, it'd be waiting for him when he came back. During that time, they actually committed and signed Gavin O'Connor to direct mm -hmm. the squad. That, that was basically a done deal. Until, well, it's not entirely clear why he left. So he departed to go focus on a movie called The Way Back, which was the Ben Affleck basketball. Mm -hmm. And apparently the ultimate reason he left, if you believe the reports, because I don't think there's ever going to be a definitive answer, is that Warner Brothers had already said, all right, we're doing Birds of Prey. And apparently that was very similar to what he and his writing team had pitched for Suicide Squad 2. So they just said... Fuck it at this point. And around this same time, James Gunn, he was preparing Guardians 3. And something came out from his past. And he'll be the first to tell you that, I mean, this is a guy who came from trauma films. And we'll definitely see that trauma past come back in this film. I definitely have moments where I'll talk about that. But he made some off-color jokes years ago. This is like decade, like a decade ago. Somebody dug him up, dug him up, and like that, the Mouse House kicked him to the fucking curb. They're like, "All right, you're done. You're not making this Disney film." So, DC 
seeing gold in them, their hills, just like they did with Whedon, just swooped them up. And before we knew it, James Gunn was making The Suicide Squad. And I gotta say, if I wasn't excited for a David Iyer sequel, I definitely wasn't excited for a James Gunn sequel. Because, and I'm gonna save watching Guard- those Guardians films until we get to them. And I've seen them both one time each. Uh, one of them was with Adam. I call him One Bullet Gun. I think he's one note. And I had zero faith that I would like any part of what he would come up with. But people seem to be big on it. I know Margot Robbie was really big on it. Everybody was big on this cast. And we talked a little bit about the backstory of who got hired and whatnot. But honestly, when I looked at the production history of this, Warner Brothers left them alone. They said, you do whatever the hell you want. You kill whoever you want. You bring in whoever the hell you want, which is unheard of. Adam, what were you thinking when you were seeing all this press come out about this? It kind of blew me away. I mean, DC, the brass there... They got him on Tuesday, and he was fired on Friday. They wasted no time whatsoever. And I know at first it was, hey, how do you feel about Superman? And he was like, no. Well, how do you feel about And they tried to give him a couple more established heroes. And he was like, no, no. They're like, okay, you know what? Whatever you want. And he goes, how about? And he pitched this. And they went, great, go. And that was it. I mean, according to him and all reports, it was ridiculously easy for them to sign off on it. They felt that he was going to bring some some excitement and crowd and, you know, they could market it off James Gunn's name. And they sure as hell did. But, hey, that cancel culture goes both ways, everybody. So if you think they're not going to come for you eventually, maybe you shouldn't try to get them to come for others because that's exactly kind of what happened. He's going to finish up Guardians 3. And I don't think we're going to see anything else of him working at Disney, including the people that he that he worked with on those movies. Everybody kind of seems ready to ditch the mouse. Uh, what's, so, what's so funny about it, too, is they fired him. DC snatches him up. And all of a sudden, Disney's like, you know what? We made a mistake. As soon as you finish that, that little Suicide Squad movie, you come on back and you finish your guard. Like, it's so this is yeah. one of the craziest stories. And they tried to get him to do that first. And I'll give him credit. He was a stand-up guy. He said no. I made a commitment. I'm going to go do the Suicide Squad movie. Then I'll do your Guardians movie. And they acquiesced, and they said, yeah, yeah, okay. But shit, they probably weren't going to get most of the cast back without a contract fight, you know, with that Guardians movie. So, I mean, we even get a cameo in this one, you know, from that cast. So, it's. I mean, I was happy to see somebody different take it on because I've talked about it elsewhere. You know, Guardians is kind of the peaks and valley for me. I think it's a... So-so movie, and I think it's an awesome movie, depending on which one we discuss, and I'm not going to let that out of the bag till we talk about it as a team, but I thought that this was going to be something pretty different, and then the cast list started coming out, like there was that initial poster that looked like an old-school 70s comic cover, really, and I looked at this, like, 20, 30 names on the, on the poster, and I went, 90% of these people aren't going to make it out of the first 30 minutes of this film, <laughs> but that kind of excited me. It blew me away that they were going to let him do an R-rated cut when it was clear that Iyer wanted to do one and didn't. But DC had been on a roll with some of these R-rated properties. So if you're going to let him do it and kind of go balls to the wall, I mean, it's it's tough because box office is only one way to look at this. Because, again, this was a day and date for HBO Max. It really helped push that product and help launch HBO Max as a service. But, yeah, for me personally, I was jazzed to see him buying the camera for this one. I really was. And in the lead-up to this, too, I don't know if you guys saw it, he did that stupid evil Superman movie, which was also rated R, by the way. Uh, Bright, Brightburn? Yo, it's so bad. It is so bad. And I'm like... I think you can correct it. 
No, he didn't, but his name's all over it. And I'm just like, oh, God, this is the guy you're going to get. But you know what? Again, I avoided it. But coming in, I went in as open as possible. I said, okay, I'm not a James Gunn fan. Let me see what he brings to this cast, which obviously was in capable but not very good hands in uh, David Iyer. I mean, I think he was just way in over his head, and he had studios, you know, hiring trailer <laughs> trailer editors to edit his film. We talked about that. Go back and listen to that podcast. But I'm like, alright, with nobody breathing down his neck, can he do it? And I was ready to see what he could give me. And uh, usually I watch these twice, but I only was able to watch it once. I watched it a few hours before we started recording today. And... I definitely have things to say. Goudreau, what about you, sir? When uh, this was coming up, were you going to go see it in theaters, or were you going to go stay home and watch it on HBO Max? I wanted to go see this in the theater because knowing James Gunn's sensibilities and being a fan, a huge fan, I would say, you know, it's so funny that this guy has gone from trauma and just pure exploitative schlock to something like Guardians of the Galaxy where Marvel and DC have both basically told him, do whatever the fuck you want. As long as we're okay with it, we'll we'll sign off. So I just think it's one of the craziest career trajectories you will ever see, but I did not believe that they were going to give him the keys to the castle. I thought this was purely WB trying to pick up the table scraps from Marvel, sell the movie on James Gunn's name, sort of like Brightburn, and sort of handhold him saying, this is what we want. Just shoot it. It reminded me of when Marvel lost Edgar Wright and they got Peyton Reed, mm-hmm. where I got the sense that, yeah, yeah, you were the opposite. You you went from David Ayer to James Gunn. That's a big step up in quality, in my opinion. But the idea of we have something that we want, but I did not believe that they would let him go to where he felt he could. So I was not 100% excited until the trailer started coming out, especially the Red Band trailer where I was like, oh, this this is a 100% a James Gunn movie. More so than, you know, much like Zack Snyder, I think this is the most rope that WB slash DC has given one of their directors to do something in their wheelhouse, but still make it somewhat of a mystery. Because one thing I really liked about the marketing was it wasn't until the Red Band trailer where you finally saw what the big villain was going to be. And outside of that, I was just curious about between the characters they were picking and some of the, the locales, the casting. There was a lot for me to excite about. But again, DC, WB at this point, I always say I'll, I'll believe it's good when I see it because I've been burned, bright burned, if you will. Numerous- <laughs> and one thing about those trailers before we get into this is what I found interesting about those trailers, because I watched them for this podcast. I wanted to see how they advertise this. I don't remember the trailers at all. It's funny. They don't even mention Guardians of the Galaxy in those trailers because this is a DC property. They're just like from the brilliant imagination of James Gunn, they want to put in your head that this guy he's a really good director he's got crazy ideas but they didn't want to say that he's the guy who did guardians two movies that made a shit ton of money while dc was really struggling this was the same way for me like i had the ability to watch it at home for free but i was happy to pay and this was a afternoon date for the wife and i catching it in the movie theater i want to say we caught it dolby atmos so nice giant screen amazing sound Powered recliners, yeah, save everything else for as we get into this. All right, so we're starting off with Johnny Cash's Folsom Prison Blues, complete with the DC logo. We then see James Gunn mainstay Michael Rooker, who looks like he just ran off a Rob Zombie set, bouncing a ball in prison. And he's looking at a bird, and we see our first example of many examples of bird violence in this movie. What do they have against birds here? (laughs) He, He either is taking a shot at birds of prey, 
and being not happy with oh, that interesting. movie. Or this character that Rooker plays, though, is a gender swap version of a character that is a birds of prey antagonist. Uh. It, it doesn't excuse what happens later, but this one is actually kind of quite, uh, quite in line for what this character would do. Amanda Waller comes in and takes him away, and we're hearing a repeat of the rules from the last film. And I'm going to say right off the bat, boys, you guys have been pushing this Waller character as someone who's a badass and doesn't take any prisoners. Matt, you really piqued my interest by saying that she has been known to blackmail Batman because she knows his identity, which is so funny to me. But I haven't felt that at all with past incarnations, except for the Pam Greer one in Smallville, but I just love that show. Uh, but she was awesome as that character in that show. But this one just really didn't hit me, quite frankly, in the last film. I didn't think she was... It's not that. Viola Davis did a bad job. I think that character just didn't have the presence. I feel it here, boys. There are a few scenes here that I will point out later that drill at home. Amanda Waller, a.k.a. Viola Davis, in this role is great. I love her here. Yeah, without a doubt, they're able to step it up and give her that sense of menace and control that we got a little bit of last time, but she's fearsome in this. And if anything, she's the villain of this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that too. Oh, she's absolutely the, the villain of this movie, everything. But in a way that the first film just failed spectacularly at trying to portray. But I like that more so than the first one, we finally got the one who Achieva says it later. She's like, you don't know half the things I w- I'm capable of doing. You know, she's entirely uncompromising and is not afraid to do whatever she needs to do to literally get the job done. So if the first film was sort of a, a good but not great depiction, I think this one is... As close to perfect as I would want as a fan. We are seeing Rick Flagg again, and I hate saying that name, because in a couple years, the three of us, we're going to be covering The Stand from Stephen King, and there's a character in that in that story called Randall Flagg. So <laughs> I just get these mixed up all the time, but that's just a thing for me. Well, we got we're, the man in black here also. Yeah. It just helped us. Oh, we're going to get to him. We're getting out of the prison, and Rooker is like, so this is the famous Suicide Squad. Here we are, saying the title again. And Flag replies, we take offense to that. And if my red flag wasn't up already, boys, when I saw that James Gunn was making this, it went even higher when I saw Pete Davidson here as Blackguard. Holy shit, do I hate this fucker. Thankfully, he doesn't stick around for long, but I I watched that dumb movie he did with Judd Apatow a couple years ago. It was supposedly based a little bit on his life. I don't remember the name of it. God, I just, I can't stand this guy. Yeah, when he was in the trailer and even in the beginning, he just, I don't know, everything across him that comes out of him feels so cringy that it's just, yeah, yeah. If there's a black spot, is putting him in this film any, for any reason. He's mm. got to be a buddy. He, he's got to be. Yeah. We even get a slow motion walk with these characters as we're seeing Captain Boomerang again. <laughs> and here we get some more characters. We get Blackguard, a Mongal? Mongal? M- Mongal, yep. Javelin, TDK, Weasel, and here's Harley again, and... This is quite a list of guys and girls, aren't they? What did you guys think when you guys saw these characters? I mean, this is like Z-list, isn't it? This isn't even A-list. <laughs> it's, I, I was happy to see the connection to the previous film, at least, with Boomer and Harley. You know, it was nice to see him. I was wondering what was going on when they were loading it up, and we didn't see Harlequin. thought maybe she was going to be the goal uh, for the film. But I like it. I think Weasel, they do an amazing job with that. Sean Gunn reprising his mocap of Rocket Raccoon to be Weasel here. Mongal, I was really actually excited that they were going to bring in that character because Mongol is a character that fights Superman in off-world planet gladiator-style fights. So I was really interested what they were going to do. This first team that we get, you know, with Savant, TDK, Jab, everybody else, I was like, okay, I'm sure a few of these people are going to go away. I didn't realize 
exactly how many of them were, but it's kind of a fun little bait and switch. I'll give it that. He even gives John Ostrander, the creator of the Suicide Squad, a great little cameo is the guy who puts the bomb in their neck. Oh, that's him? That's John Ostrander himself, yep. Hmm. I was very surprised that James Gunn was choosing characters that a couple, I was not even aware of their existence, but by adding mainstays like Boomerang and Harley, it does create a certain tone for the movie where the tagline was, don't get too attached. Uh, That was one of the taglines they used for this movie. So I was wondering, looking around, I'm like, if they have the balls to kill off Harley Quinn, that will be the most shocking thing to come out of this movie. So I like this team. Honestly, they do a better job with the camaraderie here than they do for the entirety of the first movie, uh, in my opinion. And, and the weird thing was in the trailers, I'm like, okay, wh- why is Harley Quinn back in prison post Birds of Prey? And it's such a great little thing. She's like, oh, I had a bad case of road rage. Mm-hmm. I like the way that they have Harley look in this. They removed, I want to say, two or three different tattoos from her face. It's it's not quite off-putting of a look on Harley. She's toned down a little bit. I like what Gunn is giving her to do here quite a bit more. Yeah, Gunn said that him and Robbie both did not like the tattoos on her face from both previous films that she was in, so they both made a decision to take those off. People are taking bets on who was going to bite it, which I actually thought was a demented but funny kind of humor. Makes me think of uh, Cabin in the Woods. Well, I was thinking of Hunger Games. Oh, yeah. Yep, that too. Not just because Viola Davis is going to be the game maker in the next prequel, in the prequel movie. Mm-hmm, which we have to cover. And then we have kind of the Predator Chopper scene as we are getting to know how these guys are interacting, guys and girls. Exactly what my thought was as well, is it's that Predator yeah. scene. Yeah. We're hearing that all the names are letters, dickhead. And Harley is just star for some of Javelin's D, it seems like to me. Um, <laughs> another one that, like, I'm like, Javelin, really? But thankfully he doesn't stay around either. They jump down, and one thing I noticed here, boys, is that Gunn brought John Murphy out of retirement to do this score, and I've always loved John Murphy's stuff. Maybe we'll get to 28 Days Later someday. And I know we're going to be covering Kick-Ass in the future, which he also did, but Murphy's stuff has always resonated with me, and while I don't think this is one of his best scores, I definitely like it and felt I could have used more of it than the tunes that Gunn chose to go with in this movie, but pretty good score here by John Murphy, guy who was in retirement for 10, 12 years before Gunn pulled him out. Adam, did you like the score here? I do. I think the score works better than the soundtrack, actually. It fit. It was a momentum-moving kind of score, and I liked the way that it fell in place with the scenes as they were going. Weasel jumps down, and we're finding out that he just can't swim, and down he goes. (laughs) Although not out, which we'll find out in the credits. I like this, though, because then it flashes back to the control room. Everybody's looking around like, no one checked to see if he can swim. Well, it helps that in this movie they actually gave Rick Flagg a personality. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Kinnaman's really good here. And I know he said he was really nervous because he doesn't do comedy. I mean, if you see him, he does hardcore dramas. You know, even the stuff he does in his homeland, he, he never, ever does comedies. He was really nervous. But I think he came to play. I, I, I like his delivery in this as well. I mean, let's just get this out of the way, boys. I will say what I have to say about this movie. I will say what I have to say about James Gunn's sensibilities. But everything about this is better than the last Suicide Squad movie. I will give it that. And you know what? Matt hit on it right here. And I think both Matt and I kind of held our tongues a little bit on trashing Kinnaman too much during the Suicide Squad in the last movie because we had seen this at that point. And it's a dramatic improvement what he was doing in that air-directed film as opposed to what he's able to do with gun directing here. And whether it's just he's written better, he's given more freedom, he feels more comfortable, or that gun is just able to direct that much better of, of a performance out of him. But I hated Flag in the first film, and I like him a lot in this one. I mean, it's night and day. 
Yeah, well, he actually feels like a military commander and not a love-struck puppy like you or a yeah. dumbass like he was in the first movie. Because again, yeah. he doesn't have to worry about being overshadowed by Will Smith either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a better performed, but I think Gunn for a movie that has just as many principal characters as the original, you learn more about them in this movie. It, and it does feel more like an actual ensemble than the first one did. But I think that's just because you don't have two things. No Will Smith, which we'll talk about how it oh, was yeah. reworked. And B, they actually find a way to keep Harley in this plot without actually having her on the team for most of it. Oh, yeah. I'll get to that. I have things to say about that. But when we get to those scenes, I'll dig into it. Blackguard gives their position and then just gets drilled in the face. Neat little nod here. If you know James Gunn, this is a direct lift from, if you've seen this movie, Super, oh. when Elliot Page gets shot in the face. It's like that exact same effect. Oh, didn't like that one either. My first cheer moment out loud in a movie theater, though. Flag tries to retreat, but Waller says the mission is just too important. And I like that we're seeing, we actually see Boomerang in action. And I have to say, the way this scene is shot is actually pretty badass. But we're seeing, like, Boomerang actually throw it and chop heads off. That was pretty cool to see. We then see TDK, he's detaching his limbs and pull off some Three Stooges hits. All right. (laughs) The detachable kid. A helicopter goes down with the blades, taking out a few people as Boomerang gets destroyed. And everyone else just goes down. Savant heads for greener pastures, and after warning him a number of times, Waller finally just detonates his head, and Savant's blood forms Warner Brothers Presents, which I actually thought was a pretty cool way of getting credits out. I mean, you thought already that they're making a statement as to how this is going to be so much more explosive, no pun intended, than the last Suicide Squad movie. But right here, before we saw the head explode, kind of off screen, little puff of smoke, and we just saw him flop against a window. I mean, here, it is freaking Technicolor in your face watching this head explode. And any time that they do these little words on screen, it looks like a letterer doing a fantastic job on a comics page. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I take. I thought of comic pages, too, when I saw this. So I love how this group is just a diversion, which shows that Amanda Waller is not afraid to off her own team because she's not picking favorites. No. She's just, all right, you guys go here, and you can interchange who's on what side, but in her case, it doesn't matter. But I love that for an R-rated movie, and this is a hard R, I would not recommend kids see this. No. I never felt like it was reveling in the violence, but at the same time, it feels like an amped-up trauma movie. Yes. Which is what I like. That That's my sensibility. When, when I, To me, this is like the best neo-Grindhouse movie we've gotten in a very long time. I know it's ridiculous to say that for a movie that costs $200 million, but just the amount of gore, the creativity and the kills. And you could tell also that this was made by a guy who had just got fired. Yeah, and I do think it's reveling in the violence. I think he's going right back to his trauma ways here, and I think it is out of frustration of what happened to him. I love the opening credits, and I love the song he picked, Jim Carroll Band. Yeah. Uh, I think most of his music choices are, are really good in this. There's one that I think is stupendous later on. But I like that, you know, not to get into Guardians too much, but that first movie, in the same way that the original Suicide Squad picked Billboard's Top 500, he kind of did the same thing in that movie to an extent. All right, so you like the music he picked, huh? Yeah, I do. Ooh, all right. We cut the blood sport, which every time I hear that, all I think of is Van Damme not being able to punch with salt in his eyes, or uh, as I've called this character, Deadshot. I mean, come on, <laughs> let's face it. it. 
I mean, this is this is exactly the Will's, what Will Smith would have done. And what they said when they put this thing together was Will Smith was attached, and then he left, quote-unquote, scheduling conflicts. Bullshit. I, I don't think that's true. I just think he just left, no. and he didn't want to come back to this at all. And, look, they brought Edris Alba in, and uh, I guess they said out of respect to Will Smith, if he, in case he wants to come back, James Gunn changed this character. But I don't know. I feel like it's the same fucking character. I didn't mind it so much because they did it infinitely better. Number one... Idris Elba is a much better actor than Will Smith. Number two, I buy him more as a scumbag him in than I ever bought Will Smith. Part of that is just I always see Will Smith. I don't think he immerses himself. I'm just glad that this is finally the blockbuster role where they knew how to use Idris Elba the right way because I was so sick of him being wasted in those Thor movies. He's fine in Hobbs and Shaw, but anybody could play that role. Yeah. Here he is. I wouldn't call him the main character, but he's the basically the leader of Group A and Flags leading the B-Squad, the Diversion, Operation Human Shield, if you want to quote South Park. But I think he's not Deadshot only because they couldn't call him Deadshot. I think they should have just said, fuck it, he's taken over the role for Will Smith. Because they're too similar, right down to the daughter thing. That that was the worst example of, did you guys really pay attention when you were writing the script and forget mm-hmm. his actual story and just said, you know what, no one's going to care, fuck it, because... You can watch this movie without having seen the first one. So I don't think it's that much, but at the same time, it operates as sort of a wink and a nod reboot in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, I would say. So all in all, I think this is a vast improvement in almost every aspect. Well, James Gunn and David Iyer are friends, and Iyer did give Gunn the... You know, he he gave him a push and said, look, man, just make the movie you want to make. Hopefully they don't do it to yours what they did to mine. So it, it wasn't exactly like a like a bitter thing like we've been hearing the Joss Whedon, Zack Snyder thing, which we talked about ad nauseum in the last few weeks. I do think he wanted to keep certain aspects of it. And I do think Will Smith was on top of his list to keep. And for some reason, he, he didn't come back. But I agree with you, Matt. I think bringing Idris Alba in here is an improvement. I definitely like him more than Smith than anything. And I definitely think he has a better presence than Smith does. I, I I really do like Elba, and I am glad he's being used as more than a bouncer, which he was used as in the Thor films. Uh, yeah, he was the door. He was the doorkeeper. Yeah. Not only do I think that he's a tremendous improvement, I think it was James Gunn's way of not having to work with Will Smith. That's my assumption. I think he wrote a script that would not let the movie revolve around him like it did the last time. I think that. Will Smith probably said, no, you need to change this, this, and this. And he kind of said, you can read the lines I wrote, or you can get the fuck out of my film. That's just my take on it. Let's not forget, Will Smith has been in this business for decades. He's smart as all hell. He's talented. He's just, I don't think he can act nearly what Idris Elba can. So I bet there was something in a contract that would have given him some sort of rights to Deadshot. And I think James Gunn is also savvy enough to go, um, I can pull somebody else out of this litany of characters since I'm pulling people like Javelin and Savant out of my ass to be in this film. The way that he does it, I think not only is Elba more enjoyable to watch, I think Bloodsport as a character is just fun in this film. I think what they do with his outfit, what they do with his weapons, all the way down to his mask, which is comic accurate, that alien-looking mask that he's got on his head. I think yeah. it's such an improvement and like you both have said i have hoped and waited for elba to have some sort of breakout role in america and it's a shame that this is the closest and i still don't think he's really really gotten it i can watch luther any day of the week because he's just amazing in that but it's it's a shame that he hasn't broken through the way that he should by this point 
Yeah, I don't think Will Smith can act nearly as well as he thinks he can. And no. Elba, Elba doesn't have that mentality, and that's why I like seeing him here. I also don't think he's nearly as precious about the way that he seems. So he's willing mm-hmm. to, to open himself up to do things a little bit different. The way this is played, the lines that are spoke, there is no way Smith could bring this type of performance or even let himself try. Yeah, not anymore. And you may, you mentioned Alien. I thought of Alien a lot while watching this, but we'll get there. Funny, I looked at his helmet. He looks like Chatterbox from Hellraiser. Oh, oh nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We see money change hands from the bets that were made during the credits. And what I was shocked during the credits was we see Zack Snyder's name as producer. But I'm like, oh really? He's still on as producer, huh? He's still the the springboard of this franchise. Got a ten thousand dollar check somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> We're seeing Bloodsport cleaning toilets in prison, and we hear that he's in prison for putting a kryptonite bullet into Superman, which I know was a storyline in Smallville that they played with for a bit. And that is accurate. That's exactly exactly something he did in the comic. He's visited by his daughter, who got in trouble for stealing a watch. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love this interaction. This this is when you know that he is not dead shot. (laughs) This right here. Him and his 16-year-old daughter just cussing at each other back and forth. Oh, man. Yeah, what's his paternal advice? Next time you go, take a partner who can play look at <laughs> He comes out and gets in Waller's face, and she eggs him on by saying, who knows what would happen if she were to go to prison, talking about his daughter. Again, Waller just being that character you guys have built up for so long. Waller says that each team member is chosen for their abilities, and then we're meeting Peacemaker and King Shark. More on him later. We're also meeting Ratcatcher 2, who controls rats, and... The polka dot man who throws polka dots at people. <laughs> what the fuck, guys? What is this? This is what happens when you're allowed to pick your characters. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'll say, when I saw the list of who it was, I was like, ooh, wow. Like, I, I had an assumption of who was going to die in this film, you know, when I knew who was in it. And I was wrong, <laughs> you know of who makes it through at least most of this film, but I'll say Gunn had a reason. He wrote a script, and he wrote it for the characters he wanted to. And I think he's able to take a trauma sensibility, add some drama elements into it, put a cape on the back, and let it soar. I could not believe he chose Polka Dot Man. Of all the characters you could have picked, let alone get David DeSmolchin, which was surprising because he's just this suicidal, depressed, put-upon... I just want to die character, so he's perfect for the Suicide Squad. Uh, I like this lineup a lot. To me, this is much more diverse and interesting than what they chose for the lineup in the first movie. But the most shocking thing was Ratcatcher 2. Like, you already picked an obscure Batman villain there, but you're you're going with the Offspring version, which is even <laughs> more obscure. But, but it's good, you know, for the sake of diversity. I think it fleshes out this cast. And then here in the prison, we see a couple other more characters. We see the Calendar Man, played by Sean Gunn. Oh, is that who that is? That who he was playing? Yeah, yeah. that's Calendar Man. Oh my God! We also get we also see Kaleidoscope and yeah, you you quite a bit here in Bell Reef. Holy vey. So Waller's given the briefing here, and she's saying that Cordo Maltese is in chaos, and the end game of this mission is they have to infiltrate Utenheim and retrieve all signs of Project Starfish. And then we get cracks about overhead projectors, dicks, and buttholes. Yes, we're in a James Gunn movie. <laughs> Fuck. I hate his humor so much. <laughs> I 
Can't stand it. More rapport as they head to the beach, and the fight is on. Javelin tells Harley that she's the only one fit to carry his javelin. Yeah, I bet she is. They land at where they're going to camp for the night, and Polka Dot Man gets rid of his Polka Dots as King Shark gets tagged by Bloodsport. I like this because unlike the first movie, they're actually not getting along, and there's some infighting. Yep. I, I think that that's a vast improvement. What I like so much about the writing is that you have characters like Polka Dot Man where you make jokes around them, but they're not the, the butt of jokes. Like, I wasn't expecting goddamn body horror when it came to Polka Dot Man, of all things. But this has won me over immediately. But I find this humor amusing. Uh, if you're not, it's just not for you. It's a, yeah. This is entirely a taste thing. Yeah, it's not hitting me at all. And this is the big thing with Gunn. Again, he just can't keep it to himself. I had to, tr- I had to pause it a couple times. I was just like, God damn! Like you just can't stop yourself. Adam, what were you feeling, sir? Did you laugh at all during this film? I laughed a lot during wow. this film. What I like about this scene here is they're setting up camp and they're going to infiltrate the next day. We got the helicopter scene to set up, you know, the the human shield team, and now we're getting another scene to set up this team. You know, we get King Shark trying to eat Ratcatcher two. We get. Bloodsport literally firing rounds into King Shark and to almost no effect other than to stun him. You know, we get Polka Dot Man having to purge himself of these toxic Avenger-looking color, you know, welts that he's got all over his skin. And Peacemaker just standing there like douchey Captain America, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, We get an introduction to this team after we got the introduction to the other team, and it's done well, and it's you get very quickly who these people are, their issues and even little things like all of a sudden Amanda Waller surprised to learn that Bloodsport is scared of rats. <laughs> Put him on a team with rat cats and he's scared of rats. You know, I love that. How did you not tell me that you're scared? I'm an assassin. Why would I tell you what I'm scared of? <laughs> I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm totally digging this huge. I'm digging your Edris Elba impression. I look like him too, for those who don't know. <laughs> Goudreau is James Gunn a wrestling fan? Because he brings in Bautista for Guardians. Now he has Cena here. Damn good question. I honestly don't know. I never yeah. thought of that. We're hearing that Bloodshot has a phobia of rats, and this team just, just does not have any cohesion. They're not getting along. And as, I, as you guys said, I do like that. I mean, if this is a band of misfits, if this is a band of complete dirtbags, as you guys mentioned last time, then yeah, let, let's see that. You know, I do like the infighting. I just hate the dialogue. We then hear from King Shark that he has no friends. More on this later, too. King Shark, voiced by Sly Stallone. Second time in a James Gunn movie. Yeah, second time. Yeah, another one he, they brought from Marvel. Yeah, he was in Guardians 2, for those mm-hmm. that forget. Yeah, didn't he have, like, other people in mind, Matt, before he settled on Stallone? Well, we weren't even aware Stallone was going to be in the movie until the Comic-Con announcement at DC Fandom. It was the longest time we knew King Shark was a character, but they just listed the the body double actor. So I thought Steve Aggie was going to do the voice as well. Uh, I never thought in a million years they would get Stallone to do ADR work because, let's be honest, he doesn't have the most dynamic audio range to begin with. (laughs) And we'll talk about that when we get to Rocky eventually. They find Rick Flagg, and there is an order to kill anyone they see, as all people here are dangerous. King Shark, he kills somebody, and then rats are let loose as Peacemaker and Bloodsport, they do the rest. And then, of course, we get more great dialogue. No one likes to show off unless what they're showing off is dope as fuck. This back and forth, this pissing contest between Bloodsport and and Peacemaker, this is the type of thing that'll kind of set your tone for the movie. You either absolutely are laughing, rolling, and enjoying this, 
or you might as well just kind of go home, <laughs> you know? And, God, what movie? There was a movie that – what was it, Garrett, that I was talking about with Scarlett Johansson? I said, man, I hope this movie gets better than this. And it was like 10 minutes in, and you said, turn it off. It doesn't. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, if you don't like it by now, just turn it off. If you don't like this movie at this point, it, it's it's not going to turn around for you. I love this so much, watching them go through it. I'm laughing. The kills are, are enjoyable. They're inventive. They're vicious. It's silent. And, you know, watching Bloodsport, who, in the comic, when he reaches into a suit, he pulls these weapons out from another dimension. That's That's where they come from. That's why they can do what they do. Here, they came out with a different way to do it, and it is awesome every time he pulls something out and watches a weapon basically transmutate out of nothingness it's, it's fantastic and peacemaker you know same thing he's got all these li- you know you get when he's chopping up the dude with an axe that's just laying there just every little bit i mean you get hanging dong for a dude that's gonna get shot <laughs> you know um you get them having a dude fall down in a bathtub and shoot his electrical fan into him i am absolutely loving this style of of humor and action and gore but again this is because it's humor it also not only is a taste thing but also could be very much a mood thing if you're not in the mood to watch this movie it's not exactly going to win you over either let me let me say this all right i've been hard on this movie I, i will i will say this everything about this movie is better like i mentioned earlier i think the story's better i think the chemistry between the characters is better one character they use i think they shouldn't have but i'll get to that when we get to it because this movie's just way too fucking long but I will say that I enjoy the story. I enjoy the action scenes. There's an overhead shot in the first action scene that's fucking gorgeous. There's a lot of things about this movie that is much, much better. What I hate is the fucking dialogue, and it's so juvenile. I like the concept of these two trying to one-up one another. Jenna was working when I was watching this, and at one point, she just she just threw her headphones on. She's like, I can't listen to this anymore. Like, she was hating the writing, too. It's just, you're, you're absolutely right. You're going with it or you're not, but... While I'm not liking the dialogue, I'm liking everything else. You know, yeah, that is something we haven't said. This movie is beautifully shot. It is. Yeah. You know, and I look at Gunn's other, you know, superhero films, and it's it's a green screen. You know, it's it's shot by VFX artists. You know, let's be serious. Other mm-hmm. than certain things, this one is shot so practically, and it still turned out just fantastic to look at. Yeah, and these are some of the largest sets that yes. WB has built in a very long time. Mm-hmm. But I think what helped the way this movie shot is that James Gunn is one of the few directors that's left outside of animators who storyboards his entire movie. Yeah. So he knows where to put the camera. He knows what kind of shots he wants to get. He knows how long he's going to hold on certain scenes. So all in all, I think it's great. As far as the dialogue goes, maybe you're just old. That's why you don't like it. <laughs> Adam's going with it. He's the same age. I mean, he's, he's hip. It's okay. Um, <laughs> look, I, you know how long it's been since I've seen a dick in a mainstream movie? Uh, even though it's a, it's a fraction of a second, I was just surprised. That, to me, was WB saying, all right, do whatever the fuck you want. Well, no shit. We didn't see Polka Dot Man in action as they find Flag, and he's not as imprisoned as they thought. In fact, he is chill <laughs> as fuck. <laughs> I like this swerve. I, was I do, too. It. Yeah, you're thinking he's going to be rescued. Oh, no. You know, he's just sitting there just hanging out. Yeah, they killed all the freedom fighters. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, it. I see this, and I never did until I watched it for this discussion, that, you know, there's that whole one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighters, and this kind of puts that right on front street. You know, it does it without being overt in your face, but you, it, it at least makes you go, 
ah, damn, the quote-unquote good guys just killed the quote-unquote good guys. Flag is assured that he'll have help, as we then cut to Thinker. The Thinker. This is Pinhead, right? (laughs) No, this is Doctor Who. (laughs) Well, I know that. (laughs) We then see Project Starfish in action. So, the starfish. And I'm not knocking it for this, I'm just pointing it out. These are xenomorphs, right? Yeah, they might as well be face-hugging starfish, yeah. Yeah. We cut to Harley Quinn, remember her? She says that she feels like a princess as she pulls up to President Luna's place. He walks out of a hot tub, and he says he aspires to be like her. I gotta say, I'll give it credit, because they're willing to show much more beefcake in this movie than they generally do. It's it's not shot in a way that's just gonna, you know, give you TNA like the other Suicide Squad movie did for the dudes. They're they're willing to go, All right, here's a good looking guy getting out of a hot tub for the ladies and the gay men and yeah, for Matt. in between as well. Hey, I did my time. I, I was in Belarive, I did my <laughs> <laughs> We're seeing their date in montage as birds are all around them and he asks her to marry him. She says she likes the ring of the name Harley Luna as he gets up and we're getting some history of some creature he has in his possession right before she shoots him and says that she promised she would be on the lookout for red flags. I dig this part. This showed the emancipation of one Harley Quinn way more than the movie we just discussed a week ago. For her to actually talk about... I said that I'd look out for red flags, and I would not let a guy do this. And killing kids, that's kind of a red flag. This showed that emancipation. This showed her break from Joker more than Birds of Prey ever did. Here's what I'll say about Harley Quinn. We have seen a lot of Harley Quinn in the last month. And for those people who don't know, we've been doing two movies a week for the last month or so. And I got to tell you, I was Harley Quinned out. And I think this is some of the stuff to me that could have gotten cut out. I don't think she could have. She should have been here. I, I think if if it wasn't for that Birds of Prey movie that we watched a couple of weeks ago, I would probably go with the scene that we get later of her shooting up the house and all the flowers and everything around. But we saw that already, and I was I was done with this stuff. It, it just dragged the film down for me. It, it dragged it to a fucking grinding halt. I but. don't disagree that this entire scene and sequence with El Presidente is just one massive speed bump that slows down this movie unnecessarily. I thought that it was a lot longer than it actually was, because it goes pretty quick, but it still doesn't fit with the entire rest of the film. You know, you could you could have cut ten minutes out of this really easy yep. by having her captured and just having her escape. It, it doesn't do anything, because, hey, there's a president, hey, there's a dead president. I'll say the sex scene is, is comical, just because you don't get that kind of thing in this kind of movie. Again, it's, you know, we're we're doing something a little different for a superhero movie, and, and we're throwing those tropes on its ear, but... It's out of place, and that's being nice. This is definitely the one sequence that disrupts the pacing, but it's needed for the actual emancipation if this character is going to mm-hmm. continue to be prominent because she's the most popular thing in these movies. So I'm, I'm willing to go with it because of the surprise of her shooting him, but that speech, I think, is, is what I thought the first Suicide Squad movie was building up to. And I didn't get, so I, I'm glad that I've finally gotten that that culminating point here. We got a whole movie of that a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> but okay, I'll drop that was, it. Yeah, that was shoe that was uh, mixed with about eighty other different kinds of. Yeah, yeah. That was a Birds of Prey movie. Remember? <laughs> I will can it. 
I will just stop. <laughs> we keep getting teased with talk of the beast. All right, guys. Is it King Shark or is it Nanui? What, what, what is this? Nanawe? Nanawe, yeah. That's Nanawe. his tribal name, basically. All right. Yep. We're hearing Polka Dot Man's backstory, and uh, then they find Milton, King Shark. He is told that a fake mustache disguise won't cut it. As Flag and Solceria are teased a romance, and we're hearing Ratcatcher 2's backstory, and Bloodsport says that he's afraid of rats because he was locked in a crate with them by his father for an hour. Oh my god, this stuff is just dragging this film down! Fuck! You yes, need I, this, though. I disagree. I love this, oh. this, bus, this bus ride. This, okay. this is where he brings some heart and drama that has no place in this movie, and I'm glad he did. Ratcatcher 2, she steals the show. She is fantastic. I love the story. Watching her father, you know, pass away, who's played by... Um, Taika. Taika. Yeah, that's Taika Waititi. But that just really tugs at your heartstrings. And then because Bloodsport, you know, was put into a crate with rats, you get that connection. And then that, that you know, I'm going to save you. No, I'm going to save you. It's... A, man, I my heart opens up for these people in, in this bus scene. I like it a lot. A whole but lot. Then- but then he drags it back da- back down with with fucking splatter and a whole bunch of dick jokes. I- I'm sorry, I'm just not going with this stuff. So they go inside the club, and did you catch the Lloyd Kaufman cameo? I did. Uh huh. Did you yeah. see the uh, Mantis cameo from Guardians? Yep. Yeah, yep. I caught that too. Up there dancing. Sorry, Palm, uh, Palm Comento. Glad you said it because I can never say her name. <laughs> then more great humor with Pissmaker and Inspector Gadget references. And then the military shows up as Bloodsport comes to Thinker and the team gets captured. And uh, there's a nifty little crash here. And, and I have to say, like, when this movie is in action mode, I'm completely with it. Gunn knows how to film this action, as we mentioned, and uh, I'm, I'm liking the action here. And I'm glad how much of it's practical, too. Yeah, he was big on that. He wanted as minimal CGI as he could get, and uh, I think he accomplishes that very well here. The team emerges from the vehicle and head to not Operation Udenheim, but Operation Harley. <laughs> and that is an interesting way they, they have title cards in this, too. You know, I, I, we haven't really mentioned that except from the beginning when we get the blood in the water. I, I, I like how they did that. I like it every time they do it, the, you know, the three days earlier, the now. Well, uh, no, I don't like that. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but every time they've done it, this is when you know, it's a comics page where you get a letter making some really nice artistic letters on a page to, you know, to bring it out. That's what I feel this is, and I like all of them. We cut back to Harley and her interrogation and eventual breakout, complete with flowers and glitter all around her. Love it. This is why, when we discussed in Birds of Prey, it felt like I thought that she was in a manic mode when she was in the police station. This time here is literally James Gunn doing what they refused to do before, saying this is what she sees. This is how wackadoo and crazy she is, you know, that she's not all in her right mind. She has that psychosis break. And I love it. Love it huge. Yeah, I I fucking love this scene because it's taking Harley's psychosis and her fucked up worldview to its fullest potential with the flowers. And and it's a way to creatively dance around the excessive gore up to a point. You know, because there's that that part where it kind of shifts and, like, people bleed out flowers and, and all this nonsense. So between that and the Louis Prima song... The jerky camera work without being Paul Greengrass levels of irritating, I completely endorse. Oh, times like this, I hate being on this podcast. I'm so ganged up on. So Harley gets picked up and notices Flag and Bloodsport running around the corner. 
before they can run in. Here she comes to greet them. I did think this was actually, this was one moment I did laugh at, was this little bit. the trailer give it away. Now we hit Jotunheim, and they go over their plan. Bloodsport says that this mission is suicide, and Flax says, yeah, that's kind of our thing. So more talking about the title here. Harley says she likes the rain as it's like angels are splooching all over us as they once again get the slow-mo shot toward the camera, except this time it's through rain. Angels splooching all over us. God, I can't believe you guys are laughing at this shit. (laughs) That one, it's amazing. (sighs) Uh, That's one that I went, rewrite that line. That's the one that I was like, all right, no, nah. See, now I know what it's like when people like really don't like Joss Whedon's writing and they have to sit through it. Because I, I, that's one guy who does make me laugh in a lot of stuff. And I mean, pre-asshole, pre, we knew he was an asshole. I love his writing and Lynn Buffy and things like he, he just really hits characters really well, and, and his humor really hits me really hard. But I just, I can't sit through this and just not put my head in my hands the entire time. <laughs> Well, he was always an asshole. He just hit it. Yeah, that, that's what I said before it was revealed that he was an asshole. So Peacemaker, he's tearing shit up as King Shark. He gets the shot of the movie, him ripping another soldier in two. Again, practical. And, uh, this was a... It's an amazing shot. It's absolutely gorgeous. This movie uses slow-mo very sparingly. When it does in something like this, it's just used to heighten it, not to stretch out Zack Snyder length of a movie. But, ooh, beautiful. They get inside the base as the Humvee is trying to break inside, and King Shark makes a Peacemaker figure. They hit the dirty little secret floor and find the Project Starfish Lab, and this is where we get Starro the Conqueror for the first time. Now, this obviously, this is a character from the comics, right? Oh, God, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Which I can't believe, one, that he did it, that he pulled out Starro, and that DC went, yeah, sure, Starro, why not? Like, that is such a choice, and wow. Freaking wow. Matt, you hear Starro's the villain of this. Are you freaking, or how are you feeling at that? I was just, much like Polka Dot Man, I was appreciating that he, much like Aquaman, DC finally embracing stuff that is objectively abstract and goofy, but choosing the right avenues to... Explore it. I also like how this movie is just a flat-out middle finger to American imperialism and the war in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because this is very much Guantanamo. This is Guantanamo Bay. Yeah. So not to get political, but I, I like that this movie has a point it's trying to make. That's just because I personally agree with it. But it is where we get our big uh, pro wrestling swerve, too. Yeah, well, we're getting there. So we then hear that American astronauts are the ones who discovered Starro, and their scientific advancement made the United States cut a deal for them to do massive military experiments. And this is when Peacemaker lets his alliances be known. The building is torn apart, though, as the thinker is dragged outside, which is where Starro lies. Flag and Peacemaker have a fight where Peacemaker actually kills him. I, I do like this gritty style of fight being included here. Like, he actually gets real for once and doesn't, like, do, like, these little jokey jokes. And this is a pretty nice fight. I do like this fight quite a bit. I like everything once we get here inside Yonai. I mean, even King Shark, his little coming across the, the little aquarium and he oh, takes their friends. That. I hate that. <laughs> I love that. <sighs> um, but, but all the parts of it, and yeah, have, I mean, when... This just gets set up and, and flag and yeah, fuck, damn, it's done. It's it's so hard to reconcile this with Suicide Squad and to look at this as a continuation of that film because it is just superior in every freaking way. 
Uh, not every way it's longer. Matt, what about you, sir? What are you feeling about this? Genuinely surprised that they offed Rick Flag. I thought this was one of the one of the bolder decisions that they made. I mean, look at a movie where you have yeah. a giant warmongering starfish. Uh, it's difficult. But again, we're emphasizing that Amanda Waller is the true puppet master and is in complete control of the situation. So I think it. There's no one in this movie that I feel like is getting the the, the shaft uh, outside of Garrett for his viewing experience. But I I think this is where. From here on out, this is just pure bliss for me. I'm not having a terrible time, guys. I, I want to make that clear. Again, I think there's, as you guys have said, mostly everything is much better than we saw before. My problems lie with the length, what should have been cut, and the humor. That, that, those are the only things. But for the most part, again, I'm going with you guys in that this is a better structured film. This is when Cleo grabs a disc and runs, but Peacemaker stops her in her tracks and fuck all these time jumps. I hate these. It's like, okay, we're just going to cut to like a few days earlier. Eight minutes earlier, I should say. It, we've had so many time jumps these last, these last couple, and we talked about it in such a poor way. Here, they don't bug me nearly as much, but it, it's still not the smoothest transition. We should I be ramping for a climax, Adam. We should be ramping for a climax, but no, we spend minutes with King Shark, a character I fucking should have been cut. King Shark is a shark. Oh, yeah, can we be any more like Root? <laughs> no, because King Shark's not cute. Oh, come on. Come on. They, they made his eyes and everything. I mean, this is... They're, they're trying Look, to make... Him black, they gave him black, black eyes like a doll's eyes. But... <laughs> Nice, nice reference. But what they do with this character is the same thing. Like, we're trying, we have to feel sympathy for this character. He has no friends. Let's feel sympathy. It's one thing to sprinkle this kind of stuff throughout the film. It's quite another to just layer it down at a time when we need to be moving the plot and the climax on. But no, we, we come to a grinding halt here. Again, another gunfight ensues, apparently, in Mr. Anderson from the Matrix's office. And Harley cannot remember somebody named Milton being with them. And then Polka Dot Man, and this comes back later. Polka Dot Man and Harley, they're caught in an explosion as the bombs are now going off. They've pissed off King Shark as he goes on a soldier-eating rampage. Lots of running and avoiding of falling debris and water. Uh, Bloodsport falls a few floors right to where Peacekeeper was going to finish off Ratcatcher. If you want to see some amazing stuff, watch the the behind-the-scenes of especially, specifically, this set of sequences getting shot. It is amazing work. This red camera that the gun procured for this and just the effort to do this practically where nobody does something on this scale practically. They just don't. But creating a set that can be lifted while they're falling down and the water coming through, it looks fantastic. And his commitment to wanting to build and put them actually in the scene as opposed to drawing a scene around them really works for this thing looking as great as it does. So he's right where Peacekeeper was going to finish off Ratcatcher. He lands, and we have the battle of the slow-motion bullets here. Smaller bullets, you know, set up and pay off from earlier. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying it didn't pay off. Bloodshots goes through and hits Peacemaker right in the neck, which I thought was going to be the end of him, but no, we're going to find out later that it wasn't. I call bullshit on that, by the way. <laughs> like, the worst example of someone surviving something that there's no... He would have bled out by the time mm -hmm. they... Starro gets out, and he's in Superman colors. All right. 
They're firing away as he lets out a ton of face hug. Oh, wait, I mean starfish. Anyone else get Stay Puff flashbacks when this thing started moving? I did. <laughs> no, I, I got Oh, come right. on. It's stomping I, I, around in a city. Sorry, I got some really inappropriate anime X-rated stuff going on. <laughs> it's the only thing I'm thinking here at the end. And I don't think that's done by accident. I think Gunn is absolutely playing up to a to a anti type of crowd here. Yeah, I, I appreciate that we got a big battle at the end without a swirling vortex of death in the sky. <laughs> I knew yes. you, would. you know what? I have in my notes, I knew you were going to call that out. I fucking knew it. I waited for it to happen, but he didn't do it, and you did. It. And you called out the fact that he didn't do it. That's great. Uh, we've been working together too long, sir. Waller thinks that the letting loose of Starro would be looked at as a positive by the government and advises them to leave, which Bloodsport does until he takes six steps and heads off mission. His friends are behind him 100%, and Waller is absolutely fucking losing it. And this is when Viola Davis shines in this moment right here. This could, in any other actress's hands who's going to ramp this up and, and somebody who's going to get their emotions high like this in a comic book film, I don't think would have done as well as uh, Viola Davis does here. But she's tremendous here. Her eyes are red, uh, which could be CGI. I don't know. But it, it's fucking glorious the way she's reacting here. Like, she is... She she has been found out. She's getting one-upped on, and she is pissed. Yeah, watching her absolutely lose her shit here. She is, she is glorious. What our Zoom calls sound like at certain points. <laughs> <laughs> she's taken out before she can kill them, though, and, and is then advised on where the creature is headed. And they're running ahead of it as Bloodsport is putting together a huge gun and then advises them to take the high ground. He tells I told him, I have the high ground. I, that's, I thought of that. He tells King Shark, Monster Num Num, as Polka Dot Man envisions his mom and fires at it, and then gets happy that he's a superhero before getting squished. <laughs> Which, what a or moment. Does he? Or does he? Or does he? You're right. King Shark gets taken up, and Bloodsport goes on a rampage. But Ratcatcher proclaims the city theirs as she unleashes her rats, and they take over Starro, and we see that her dad is Taika Watiti. Some Marvel uh, backstretching yeah, here. Absolutely. And Harley climbs up a building and dives right through its eye. And Oof. sees the, the rats eating away at it from the inside out. Oh, this yeah. is such a just... I'm squirming in my seat. When she pierces that eye with the javelin yeah. and then the rat... Like, it is so uncomfortable, but so well done. Starro falls over as Harley climbs her way out of it. And Bloodsport's daughter sees her dad celebrated on TV as Bloodsport throws communication with Waller away. Uh, meanwhile, King Shark shows back up, and Harley says that Flag was her friend. They all fly out as a rat rests on Bloodsport's leg, and credits roll on Suicide Squad just as we see that Weasel has lived, <laughs> as does Peacemaker. Yes. I'm going to live on in his own HBO Max series. Yeah, apparently Gunn had like eight episodes of this written, which I'm like mad. I call bullshit on that. I guess he, he has a series. I guess it's on right now, right? Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, the first season's completely done. They've already been set up for season two. It's a fantastic series. It's not only got Peacemaker, but the people that are in the room with Viola Davis. So Steve Agee is back. Uh, Jennifer Harcourt. Uh, James Gunn's. At that time, fiance now wife, she's in it. It is just a great, great series. Obviously, John Cena's back, but 
I, I can't believe how great that series is, and it has no reason to be, but it, it is fantastic. So what surprised me was how much I was not bothered by the fact that they're heroic at the end, because I complained about that with the first one, where they're, just, they're not really villains, they're just cleaning up a bigger villain's mess. Here, I feel like they're motivated to do it just to fuck over Amanda Waller. So to me, that's more of a, you know, because now they have leverage on her. Um, so it's kind of, it's like, yeah, we saved the city, but hundreds, if not thousands of people have died. So I guess this is also a, a remake of Man of Steel. <laughs> uh, it's that it's that SpongeBob clip of we did it, Patrick. We saved the city, and everything's on fire. And people are falling out of buildings. But yeah, I think this is a, a rousing way to end the movie. I just I can't say enough good things. I really can't. All right. Well, let's do our wrap up here and see how many good things you can say on a scale of one to ten. What do we give the Suicide Squad? Adam, sir, you give yours first. So going into this movie, yes, I knew that it was going to be James Gunn. Yes, I knew that it was going to be R-rated. Yes, I expected that it was going to be better than what we got before. What I didn't expect was that this film was going to be one that I was going to watch twice in one day. When I got home from watching this from the movie theater... I was working in my garage doing something. I think I was building our new elliptical machine. You know what I did? I put it on the TV and watched it again immediately when I got home. That's how much I enjoyed what James Gunn and crew did with this film. Uh, They took Suicide Squad and redeemed that movie by making this movie so much superior than that one was. And by doing so, they've, he made, in my opinion, probably the best DC movie that has come out in, in this DC films, DC extended universe. This thing is full of fun, full of heart. I mean, the moments that we get with Ratcatcher and Bloodsport, Peacemaker we learn in the TV series, but just everybody here, even Polka Dot Man, like I never thought that I would just be, you know, captivated by, you know, this, this David DeSmalchin and being tortured by his mother. You know, um, they play it for last. They play it for heart. And that's a tightrope that's difficult to walk. And to me, they they raised the bar. They did so without a net. And this is a movie I absolutely have an amazing time. I think the cast does a fantastic job. Um, I think the score is great. Some of the music cues I'm not huge on. Uh, there is a slowdown in the middle. The entire scene with the president of Corto Maltese plays no role whatsoever by the end of this movie, but there's an easy 15 to 20 minutes to cut out on stuff like that. But this film is, I mean, it's it's great. I, I love everything about it. I really do. I love the practicals. I love the script. And I'm so glad that Will Smith either stepped away or turned away or whatever, because Elba just carries this entire team on his back. Gunn redeems Joel Kinnaman as Rick Flagg. It's amazing that he can play the same character, and I could just hate him in the last film and love him in this one. Cena is despicable as Peacemaker, and I'm glad to see that, and it's amazing to watch how he's redeemed in his series, quote-unquote. If you want an R-rated, fun, bloody good time, this is the film for you. I don't know if DC has done a better one, and until they reboot, I don't really know if they will. This is a strong... Eight and a half for me. Um, I got, you know, some little issues here and there, but up until this point, they haven't done better for me. They really haven't. 8.5 from Mr. Bunch. Goudreau, what about you, sir? You've been pretty high on this the entire podcast. What, what's your final score? What, what surprised me the most above all else was that 
everything on the surface when you read plot on paper makes it sound like your your run of the mill superhero movie. Fortunately, and I guess unfortunately, depending on who you are, we live in the superhero movie craze. And now, by this point, we reached the era where we have to resort to villains and characters who even some staunch comic book enthusiasts will not know. So that brought James Gunn to the impossible question. Can you bring to life characters and make them endearing for audiences if they've never heard of them? If you've seen James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy movies, you know he can do that based on how much those movies made. And Rocket Raccoon is now a household name, which I never thought I would say 15 years ago. This movie, because he's playing in the DC playground, which I imagine if I saw it, it'd be black and white, kind of run down. The swings would move in slow motion. There might be some blood in the sandbox, but who knows? He had less need to focus on continuity or fitting this into a larger you know, universe. He just got to have fun and make something that really is a mockery of superhero morality. I think that's the that's the amazing thing. This movie is all about sowing chaos under the guise of American imperialism. But it's done for a sequel, because that's what this is. For a sequel, all the newcomers are the ones who stand out the most, which goes to show just how much this movie pistol whips the shit out of the original, in my opinion. It's almost not even a, it's a joke that these movies are in the same continuity. You know, this movie's very funny. I think it's self-aware. Violent is an understatement. Like, I, I was surprised that they let him go to the extent that they did. And look, in an, in, a, in an era of sequels and a DC franchise with more peaks and valleys than the Appalachians, Gunn gets to revel in this ensemble being pieces of shit for the most part. Yeah, they, they may have some pieces of humanity, but the reason they get around that is because Ratcatcher 2, which we didn't talk about, is in prison for perceived robbery that she did with rats like she hasn't really murdered anybody she, she's the the one like decent person in this group but look this movie's this might as well be a trauma movie in some ways because trauma's mantra seemed to be let's take storytelling and just use shock value to engage you i think that's here to an extent but it's mixed really well with mandated schmaltz or, or sentimentality and in a world of misfits I think James Gunn does it better than almost anybody. This is, I echo what Adam said, I think this is the best movie in this continuity, and I think this is one of the best comic book movies of the decade. Uh, so for me, this is a very, very easy uh, 9 on 10. Come on, Grinch. Come I on, gotta Grinch. be this guy, huh? <laughs> Alright, let me, let me get the good out of the way, okay? I wanna, I wanna say some negative, but let me get the good out of the way. Everything Gunn does improves what Ayer started in the first film. I will completely go with you guys on that. Rick Flagg, tremendous in this movie. You guys teased it during that podcast. I watched this movie. I said, okay, bring it. Let's see what you can do. He is tremendous. Viola Davis, I've said my piece on her. Amanda, Her Amanda Waller, badass in this movie. Loved her to pieces. New characters, look, the story of this movie is good. The action in this movie borders on great the set pieces of this movie, we mentioned that they are some of the biggest that Warner Brothers has ever built. They they show up on screen. All that money is on screen, and that is the mark of a truly good, well-put-together movie. I, and it blows my mind, and I said at the beginning, that Warner Brothers, out of all their movies, they took Justice League out of Zack Snyder's hands, put it in Joss Whedon's, but yet 
They get James Gunn. James Gunn, they say, do what you want. And he gets hardly any notes. He said that, yeah, I got no notes while making this. And David Iyer must be just shitting bricks thinking, why did he get everything? And look, the movie didn't make its money back. I, I think that in a time of the pandemic, it's, it's a real shame because I do think the work went on the screen. It's just not my bag. I, I said that he improved on everything before. I will go ahead and say I did not like Harley Quinn in this at all. I think that's a character that should have been cut. I don't think she does anything that I liked in this movie. She had one good moment, but for the most part, I did not care for her. James Gunn came from trauma, and when I watched this movie, I said in the beginning... James Gunn is one note. He has violence. He has a lot of just disgusting humor. And he has action. And I saw a lot of super in this. A lot of super. Which is a movie I don't like. And I saw a lot of Guardians in this, obviously, because of the misfits. And you know what? I didn't like it initially. I am looking forward to revisiting it, though, to see it from with different eyes. Because I was a different person when I, re when I watched that initially. But as far as The Suicide Squad goes, I can't say this is the best we've seen in this retrospective. It, it's, it's still hitting that average mark for me. It, it is higher than the first one. I will go ahead and go six and a half on this. I didn't have a great time with this, but he did a lot of good things. But I have to say, you know, if, if DC gives him the keys again, I don't know. It, it takes this podcast to get me to watch these movies. And I hate being this guy because I went in with the most open of minds. I'm like, James, come on, bring it, bring it, bring it. And he didn't bring anything new. So six and a half out of ten for me. Now, is he going to make another Suicide Squad movie after he's done with Guardians 3? Like, is he just going to jump to ship? Like, what's he doing after this, Matt? Or season two is his immediate priority. After that, they have said Guardians 3 is the end for not just James Gunn, but that entire cast. So I'm very excited to see what, A, what that movie turns out to be, and B, what he chooses to do, because for all the lack of box office success that The Suicide Squad had, the word of mouth on this was fantastic. It got really good buzz. You know, it's launched a spinoff show. Launching another one, Amanda Waller is apparently getting her own show. Jesus. Yep. And she's in Peacemaker. Uh, she's uncredited. I'm curious to see what he does, because I lo I want him to, to go back to doing something like when he wrote, this is the most ironic thing, he wrote Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead Reading. Yeah. Uh, which I think is, you got to pay the bill somehow. Hell, release the R-rated Scooby-Doo cut. Apparently it's out there. Yes. Um, but I want to see him go back to do something a little bit smaller. Like, I'm, I love Slither. Um, mm. I, I, I freaking love that movie, which is funny because there was a part of that movie that made me physically ill. Uh, he saw it in the theater uh, with me when I was like 13. Uh, I almost threw up in my popcorn bucket at one part, but all I know is his next movie is going to have Michael Rooker in it. That's all I know. <laughs> Adam, if he does another Suicide Squad movie, I'm taking it you were there. Yeah, I absolutely would be. Uh, I don't know what he's going to do. Other than Peacemaker Season 2, he's confirmed that. Yeah, he's a confirmed Amanda Waller, and I think he's going to produce one other character, but he hasn't said what it is. I think at this point, and I give him credit. I, I really do. I give him a lot of credit, and I think it's a lot of integrity. He hasn't said anything that he's doing with DC while he's out there finishing up Guardians 3 and preparing for that trailer and that to drop, because that movie comes out early next year. And I don't think he will until that movie comes out. And I think once that comes out, he'll let everybody know what he's going to do. But I'll give him credit. You know, he's he kind of stays above the fray, and he stays way more mature than his scripts. <laughs> you know, kind of say that he is. 
and way more than people have acted towards him. So I'm excited for whatever he brings, and I'm really interested to see what it is. It's either going to be Suicide Squad, it'll be something along those lines, because we get the line, you know, we're Task Force X. Maybe that's maybe that's Suicide Squad 3. Maybe it is Task Force X. Maybe we go somewhere else. But I'll absolutely be there, ready for whatever he's going to bring. Uh, I'd like to see something different, but who knows? Shoot, at this point, Guardians work. Maybe he's going to be the one that will probably make a Green Lantern movie since J.J. Abrams apparently isn't going to do it. My advice to Gunn, whatever he does, stay off of Twitter. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) All right, next week, boys. I cannot believe it's finally here. Next week, we are concluding the retrospective with a review of The Batman, a movie I will say it again. We have said it constantly throughout this whole retrospective, but I promise everyone out there, none of us know what the other thinks about this movie. All we know is that all three of us have seen it. I have not seen it since I saw it in theaters. I am looking forward to revisiting it. Boys, what are you expecting with The Batman? I don't know because this is no bullshit, everybody. We literally have not said a word to each other. This has been the longest game of mystery box JJ bullshit uh, <laughs> ever played among podcasters. Like, this has been out for six months, has made a shitload of money, and we have not uttered a word to each other about our own personal thoughts on it. So I'm excited to do my rewatch. I'm more excited to hear what you guys think of it. I'm a creature of podcasting, and that podcasting will come out next week. It's, it, I can't wait to see what we all think about it. I think all of us were happy, actually, with Robert Pattinson, surprisingly enough. You know, mm-hmm. I think we all admire his talent enough that we went, damn, that's actually, uh, for the first time, maybe Batman doesn't need to be criticized, you know, from a casting standpoint. Yeah. And But I didn't know Matt Reeves from much. You know, I had only seen the first Apes movie. I've still only seen the first Apes movie. Um so I was I was very curious going in. Um, I loved the rest of the cast, but around it, I know there was a lot of discussion about about Colin Farrell. And I still can't believe till we start talking about that next week because yeah, there was a lot of effort that went into this movie, and yeah, I'm 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 excited to see what we discuss. I really am. Yeah, I was excited about the casting. I was even excited about the director because I am a big big fan of what he did with Let the Right One In. I think his remake, Let Me In, is tremendous. Um, oh, that's who did it. And he did Cloverfield. With JJ. I, I, yeah, with J.J. I was looking forward to what we could see, and then I heard the running time. <laughs> and uh, It's not a running time. It's a slow walking time. You're not kidding. So, you know, I was looking forward, but I did buy tickets like two months in advance. I was pretty stoked for it. My girlfriend was out of town. I ended up going with a good friend of mine, and I'll discuss that theatrical viewing when we get to it. But yeah, again, none of us know. We all just came back and said, yep, we saw it. The end. So I am yeah, really looking five years. See- we talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I am really excited for uh, what we discussed because I had my thoughts when I came out of it. I have not rewatched it since. Uh, we'll probably do so tomorrow as we record this, and it's uh, it's going to be an interesting podcast, that's for sure. All right, boys, thank you for going through this. God, bloodbath is all I can say. Uh, <laughs> a podcast, Great boy. Discussion. Goudreau, it was a very interesting discussion, and and Goudreau, now I know how you feel when you get double teamed throughout the course of these uh, podcasts. Man, it's none of your business. I feel so beat up. Until next week when we discuss the Batman. Nothing like a podcast to start the day. Thank you, gentlemen. I'm a superhero.
Each member of the team is chosen for his or her own completely unique set of abilities. This is Christopher Smith, known as Peacemaker. In his hands, anything is a deadly weapon. His father was a soldier who trained his son how to kill from the moment he was born. You're having a loss. What? You just said each member of the team is chosen for their unique abilities. He does exactly what I do, but better. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Three Men in a Retrospective podcast, exclusively on Percolated Media. You think you can beat me? You're a fucking moron. Join us next week for an entirely new review. Unless we all want to die very unpleasant death, we're going to have to work together. And if you would be so kind, please take a moment and give us a positive review and rating on your podcast platform of choice. It truly helps others find and discover our podcasts. Do I look like the kind of clown that could start a movement? The Three Men in a Retrospective podcast is produced by Garrett, Matt, Adam, and Nathan. Who are you guys? Edited by Garrett. Fucking fabulous if you ask me. Voiceovers by Adam. Okay, I'm waiting for the punchline. Retrospective podcast is for review and discussion, and all clips, music, and audio cues are used as such. momentum moving kind of score and I like the way that it the way that it fell in place with the scenes as they were going. Goudreau? Yeah, I'm in agreement. Goudreau never has anything to say about scores. That's why I love talking about him. Adam, it's a good way to get him to shut up. So if you ever run one of these, just talk about the score. He'll he'll be quiet. 
Unless it's a goblin movie, then I will rant about how much I fucking hate it. I think bringing Idris Elba in here is an improvement. I definitely like him more than Smith in anything, and I definitely think he has a better presence than Smith does. I, I really do like Elba, and I am glad he's being used as more than a bouncer, which he was used as in the Thor films. Uh, yeah, he was the door. He was the doorkeeper. Yeah. Gunslinger fled across the desert. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Not only do I think. And, and the last time we reviewed Cena, Matt, was when we did Bumblebee. So, I mean, we, it's fast, not like... Fast, no, 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 no. We did Fast oh, 9. Oh, that's right. He did Fast 9, too. You're right. You're right. Ooh, damn. <laughs> that which shall not be named. Yeah. Another series we got to return to next year. Oh, boy. Not it. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> so, we hit Jotunheim. Jotunheim, right? That's how you say that? Jotunheim? Jotunheim. Yeah, which like I still think is a is a joke about Idris Elba being in the Thor movie. Yes, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Jotunheim is the, the frost giant world. Uh, now we hit Jotunheim. Love it. Love it huge. Matt, what about you, sir? Oh, Matt's gone to the restroom. Oh, God, do we wait for him to come back? I kind of do. I want to. I want to hear what he says about yeah. this scene. No, that's fine. Yeah, no, wait for him because right. it's it's a it's a scene that's got some it is. flourish to it. Mm-hmm. And I've already said my part, so we need to get the uh, tiebreaker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy.